We are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, but even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans themselves. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're only seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dig- dig- dignity of man. Dignity has got to involve self-government, at least to some extent. Democracy also involves dignity, self-government, and Brexit. Everybody's at least heard of it. Not sure really what it is. No, it's like, oh, it's something big that happened over there. The vote in what used to be Great Britain to leave the European Union came as a shock, as nearly every observer, including myself, predicted the majority vote would be to remain in the European Union. One British newspaper, a tabloid, pictured a vote to leave as a leap into unknown oblivion. Many expect a serious recession to occur in the United Kingdom as a direct and immediate result of the vote. Our returning guest today, international uh, columnist Patrick Lawrence, writes that, quote, Britons may have made a short-term tactical mistake, but... The true error is Europe's. Further, he says, Britain's stunning decision to leave the European Union marks the end of something and the beginning of something else. End of quote. He asks, is the post-war Western alliance fated to give way to a disorderly world with no organizing principle? Boy, it's interesting stuff. This is some serious history being made now. Patrick Lawrence, thanks for coming back with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Oh, a pleasure, Bert, as ever. As ever, indeed. Well, Patrick Lawrence, in case you've forgotten, is Salon's foreign affairs columnist, a longtime correspondent abroad, chiefly for the International Herald Tribune and The New Yorker. He's also an essayist, critic, and editor. His most recent book, which I highly recommend, Time No Longer, Americans After the American Century. And we are certainly seeing that happen. You can follow him at The Flautist. His website is patricklawrence.us. Well, again, thanks for being with us. Tell us what you mean by your observations that the British made what you call a short-term tactical mistake, but the true error is Europe's. What do you mean by that, Patrick? <coughs> well, Bert, uh, this, uh, uh, this uh, British vote was a hard call. Uh, for anyone who is a British subject and also for anyone watching with any interest, right? Uh, uh, there's nothing much to recommend membership in the EU anymore. We can explore that thought as we talk. But uh, exiting now is going to be is, is rather precipitous, and it's going to be difficult. It's going to create some difficulties, I think, Um so what I meant was, and it's going to create difficulties for the people who were already disadvantaged by EU membership, okay? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, 
just for example, uh, the question of immigration. I mm-hmm. don't. Uh, immigration plainly was a big issue in the vote. Fine, but uh, there's some really excellent studies around. If your readers are interested, they can find them on a website called Social Europe. It's basically a gathering of scholars and so forth. Uh, quite readable. Um, and they uh, show very clearly by the pattern of voting that immigration really wasn't the issue. The issue is deindustrialization. And yeah. that is uh, that is to be put uh, put down to in part, at least, to EU membership. So it's going to cause some dislocations. But I think exiting is a very defensible position. It's just the political ground hasn't been laid. They're exiting under a conservative government that is wholly committed to the very austerity problems British people are trying to get away from, so uh, or have have in many ways rejected. Okay, yes, uh, as has a great deal of the continent. So, uh, uh, my position is a touch complicated. I apologize to your listeners. Well, it is a complicated issue. Yeah, I, I think getting out is very defensible. If I were European, I would want out, but. Uh, so swiftly as this, I'm not sure the English are ready. Hmm. I'm not sure they shouldn't have stayed in uh, and prepared themselves further for an exit uh-huh. later on, if uh, if that were administratively possible. As opposed to a quick divorce from that. You mentioned deindustrialization. Now, what, what does that mean? I mean, a lot of people, working class people in England, are involved in, in sort of old-fashioned industry. Are they not? Talk about what you meant by that. What these uh, scholars that's uh, published on Social Europe discovered, they looked at the voting pattern, who wants in, who wants out. Okay, It did not match up with immigration patterns in England. Okay, Immigration has not been evenly distributed in England. You have towns in the north of England that are virtually entirely non-Western populations at this point. Mm. Right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Muslims from the Middle East, uh, S- South Asians, and what have you, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, they did not necessarily vote for an exit, all right? Whereas the Welsh, where new immigrants are actually counted in a very minor way, there hasn't been much immigration into Wales, they voted exit. This is the sort of thing uh, these uh, British scholars took apart and realized, uh, but, uh, sorry, to finish the thought, but Wales has been radically deindustrialized. Uh, okay? Uh-huh. The um, coal industry has collapsed, yes. uh, and also a lot of industrial production has moved, because it can move. Uh, to lower-wage countries, we all know the yes. syndrome. Race to the bottom, okay. yeah. So, yeah, so that's what I mean. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, uh, let's put it in an American context. It'll be a very great deal easier sure. to yeah. understand, okay? Yep. Let's go out to the Midwest and look at a town 
where there's not a lot of uh, immigration, um, but the steel industry's gone, or the auto parts industry is gone, or whatever was there is gone, right? Mm-hmm. You have a working-class white population, uh, and they are very angry. They are yes. trumpets, I guess we want to <laughs> call them, right? Okay? Uh but they don't have an immigration problem, except they're all riled up for one reason or another about immigrants. Yes. Okay? Yeah. And then you go to uh, maybe someplace in the Southwest where there are a great many immigrants, and they're not that upset about them, or not relatively speaking, if you mm-hmm. see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, that's the thought. Fear of the unknown, fear of immigrants. And I wonder... I mean, I, I saw some of the people, the leaders of the UKIP, the United uh, Kingdom Independence Party, a far-right party. It, it seemed to me, anyway, not that I watched very much of it, um, that it was a lot of xenophobia, anti-immigrant emotion, and, frankly, racist feelings. How much, yeah. how much of that uh, was behind? Were, were, were a lot of the people who voted for leave uh, simply saying, you know, we, we're racist, we don't want those uh, darker-skinned immigrants coming here, whether or not they were really here. I mean, some kind of fear. What? How much of that played yeah, into it? This is a, one of the problems with the out camp, right, uh, is there's some very unsavory people in it, oh. all right? If you want to take a position to leave, so you're an out as opposed to an in, uh-huh. uh, you're lining up shoulder to shoulder with some pretty nasty people, okay? Uh, this, uh, at the very least, is going to put you in a position of explaining yourself uh, in in conversation with others. Yeah, look, uh, we discussed uh, England and the British exit, I think, a couple of months back. Yes, we did, a long time ago. Getting to boil, right? Yes. And we, I, re- I recall uh, talking about um, island consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. The English are an island people, okay? They are going to be given to certain kinds of uh, 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 xenophobia, yes, yes. certain kinds of, uh, certain awareness of people beyond their shores as other, other. okay? Mm-hmm, the other. Let's use the term a little loosely, but to drive the point home, they're going to be a little tribal in some aspects, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of them, of course. Uh, and uh, I think that certainly was a factor in why underscore some people voted mm. out, right? And uh, that must I think have... a lot of very thoughtful people on the left side of the Labor Party voted out for drastically different reasons. And I, I would have uh, again complicated circumstance, but I, I, I'm perfectly in sympathy with uh, the outs, but again, not because I think uh, the English are a splendid white race of superior people. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, world history. It amazes me how the British could ever think of themselves as a superior people, which they have for well over a century, given their... Oh, gosh, they're masters, aren't they? Ah. Uh, but given their food, their you know their diet, their beer, I mean, come on, how could they think? Yeah, I mean, really? Actually, English food has improved, you know. Oh, that's good. I haven't been there in a long, long time. <laughs> <Yeah>. they, 
can't help but get anyway, better. English food used to be appalling. Oh. There was only one cuisine worse. I remember the first time really? I went from England to Scotland, I said to myself, I have never in my life had food as bad as Scottish food. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> well, and I was including all manner of strange non-Western foods from underdeveloped countries, right? No, the Scots beat them all. (laughs) And and they thought of themselves as superior and able to rule the world. It was amazing. I I like Scottish people very much. They have great newspapers, or at least they used to, Glasgow Herald. Some of my best Uh, friends are Scottish. But anyway, getting off that a little bit, if you just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Live, Bert Cohen here, our guest once again is Patrick Lawrence, uh, Salon's foreign affairs columnist, a longtime correspondent abroad, uh, and we're talking about Brexit, what the heck it means. And you brought up, you know, the left, and I felt badly for somebody I really like so far, Jeremy Corbyn. He is the new genuine left leader of the Labour Party. He's been called Bernie Sanders' counterpart in England. Uh, he was in a very, very tough political position. Yes. Because he certainly didn't want to be seen as a, as a racist like the, the UKIP party. Uh, he's, he's now being heavily pressured from within his party to step down as Conservative Prime Minister David Cameron did, yet he is resisting. What's Does he have a future? What, tell us what's going on uh, with Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour and all this. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. And I... I I think the New York Times report on this was a touch misleading. Okay. Oh, what a surprise uh, for the New York Times, um, right. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, Corbyn was elevated to party leadership by Labor Party members, of which there are many, many, I think more than a million. Sure. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but it, over the vigorous objections of labor members of parliament okay uh-huh. it's kind of like uh uh-huh. it's kind of like the send sanders people yes. versus uh the democrats in congress it's a big difference fairly easy way to understand it okay? yes. so Good. uh the labor mps have been on sanders case all along i mean you mean they, corbin's yeah. in, Merciless. So what they said, uh, their move after, in the wake of the Brexit vote, was really very preposterous. Corbyn came out and said, look, not unlike what I said to you uh, a moment ago, okay? Mm-hmm. Corbyn came out and said, look, I'm not too keen on the EU. I'm very critical of the EU, but we have to stay in. So he he urged membership to vote in, all right? Uh, but he did not do, do so. <laughs> the Labour MPs came out after the vote to leave and said, look, Corbyn, you didn't come out vigorously enough, uh, so we want you out. In other words, it's a straight-out opportunistic political move. <laughs> uh, uh, they're now taking advantage of the exit vote to attack Corbyn once again, and they gave him a no-confidence vote. Yes, big just a day or two ago, and he's now going to have to stand for party leadership again, right? Yes. It has nothing to do with sentiment within the Labor Party. Right. It has to do with sentiment uh, among Labor MPs who are, by and large, 
uh, I hope the reference is okay for your listeners, uh, uh, New Democrats or Blairites, you know, uh-huh. they're Tony Blair crowd. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're, in, in our context, they would be Clinton. Yes. Clintonistas, right? Yeah. Uh, and, New Democrats, uh, yeah. That's who. That's so. That's what they're doing. Uh-huh. Um, Corbyn maintains, and his people maintain that vote they took against his leadership was not even constitutional and tr- according to Labor Party l- rules, huh. right? Uh-huh. Uh, so I don't put much store in it. It doesn't really tell us anything we didn't already know. Jeremy Corbyn doesn't have a great many friends in the British Parliament, even on the left side of the aisle. Why does that remind me so much of what's happening here? You have uh, the traditional Democrats, like me, the traditional liberal Democrats, who are not the Hillary Clinton, DNC, no labels, you know, uh, uh, corporate caterers that that the party establishment is. And there is that kind of split. Very interesting. And uh, so it sounds like uh, Jeremy Corbyn may yet survive because the vote within Parliament is very, very small compared to the entire party. Of course it is. It's a, it's a, it's a handful of people relative to later Labor Party registered Labor Party membership. Uh-huh. Bernie Sanders uh, came out and said something quite interesting just yes. yesterday or the day before. Yeah, the New York and, Times. Uh, I, I, I like it. I, I stand with it. Yeah, I do too. Um, it, it, uh, you do this. Uh, Bert, strip away all geographies or any notion of specific institutions, the EU or the Labor Party or the Conservative Party or any of that, right? What do we have? What are we left with? We are left with uh, uh, a, a process, a political process, in this case, EU membership uh, that was well-established altogether assumed to be immune from objection, and uh, you have uh, coming up from ground level popular objection. It's tipped over, okay? Mm. And Bernie Sanders' point was, this is what you get when democracies are no longer responsive. If you, uh, again, strip out the specifics, geographies and Mm -hmm. institutions and all that, you can bring that point right over to this country. Yeah, I noticed that, and it's so fascinating to me with populism in general that on the left and right, there seems to be this understandable, in my opinion, justifiable anger that this government is not our government, it's distant powerful few people it's serving them yeah and this this is why it's very very important for corbin not to cave yes he said the other day i owe it to the labor party membership to hang in and bless him for that uh look bernie's out of the running okay i hope he does well in philadelphia uh by way of structuring the platform (laughs) uh uh, but he's 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 not going to be a candidate unless Hillary tips over because of the email or something, and one rather doubts that. Yeah, probably not. But, It'll be so, buried. But Corbyn is not out of the running. Right. And it is extremely important in the British context, in an, in an American context, we'll take it up in a sec, I guess, the Spanish context, sure, yes. that, uh, that these movements 
which are very different in many respects, but let's face it, we're looking at a worldwide phenomenon at, at some level. Uh, uh, stick with it and get their voices heard in important places. Yes, know? that has to be done. And, and in uh, his op-ed, Bernie Sanders said, and you got to picture his voice. Let's be clear. I can't imitate his voice. Let's be clear. <laughs> Give it a try, Bert. Oh, no, I can't do it. Let's be clear. The global economy is not working for the majority of people in our country and the world. Right on. He said, right. he asked, could this rejection of the current form of the global economy happen in the United States? You bet it could. Yes, right. That, that was uh, just perfect. Uh, he didn't make it in 16. Uh, I'm not the first one to say 2020 is going to be awfully interesting. Oh, it will. Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, no matter what happens, if Hillary wins, you know, that's that's going to, yeah. I, th I think, make a tremendous opportunity for the traditional Democrats to make a comeback. And if Trump wins... Pfft, you know that'll be the, the clearly the yeah. the death of the you, new you Democrats. Know my take on uh, Hillary Clinton as president, and I, to be honest with you, I'm not all that worried about what Donald Trump may have said yesterday. <laughs> not, he's not. A, <laughs> of course, I've been wrong. Well, my right. worry is, what's Hillary going to be like? She's our next oh president. Oh I think she's going to flame out. I, I honestly, I think she's a one-termer. I don't think she's temperamentally suited to the White House. Yeah. I think she has these odious uh this odious sense of her own superiority yeah. entitlement yes. if you watch her speak it's just so off-putting right i don't think she's gonna cut it i don't well well i don't want to get too far of course but pity me i'm going to be a delegate at the democratic convention in philadelphia i have a very hard time watching her on tv i gotta sit there in the audience Huh. Are you going down? How interesting. Oh, I know. I'm a delegate for Bernie. What a surprise. But, <laughs> Bless you, Bernie. Well, after... Onward. Oh, oh, God. It's, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. But after the Brexit vote, just a few days later, as we mentioned, uh, the largest country in the Iberian Peninsula, Spain, held parliamentary elections while Prime Minister, I'm not sure if I pronounce this right, Rajoy's center-right... Rajoy. Rajoy. Ah, it was one of the other. Prime Minister Rajoy's center-right People's Party won the most seat. The populist Unidos Podemos placed second. What do we know about there? Talk, if you would, about the future of, of Podemos there and, and some of the... Yeah. You know, it sounds like it's sort of on the same page. Yes. Podemos, you can draw at least a dotted line between Podemos, uh, which means, yes, we can, roughly. Mm -hmm. uh, we are able, Poder, uh, to be capable of. Uh, yeah. Podemos, uh, Jeremy Corbyn's wing of the Labor Party... Uh, Syriza in Greece, yes. Bernie Sanders, this is what we're talking about. You Absolutely. can draw at least a faint dotted line between all of these, all right? Uh, I need to correct you on one point, and you derive the error f from me. Uh, nope. uh, Podemos came in third, okay? Oh. Uh, but not by... Uh, b but the difference is, is extremely minor. Okay. Uh, they were expected to come in second. The point is... Rajoy cannot form a government. Right. Okay? And uh, what P Podemos broke the mold last December, they had, an, they had elections then, um, and Spain has been uh, for 40 years since Franco died, uh, stitched up between the socialists 
and uh, the conservatives, okay? It is not unlike the Democrat-Republican divide here. That's it. Mm -hmm. Two-party system, full stop. Uh, Podemos broke that mold, and uh, Rajoy has been drifting around for six months now, unable to form a government. Uh, and um, uh, he cannot now. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, again, this it, it prolongs the political disruption Podemos accomplished last December, disruption in the in constructive sense of the term. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's what's important about these Spanish elections. So, in effect, uh, Podemos, just for shorthand, uh, is uh, and Iglesias is, yes. is the leader, a yes. uh, very young, interesting man, very smart, young, 30s, guy, yeah. uh, well spoken, etc. Uh, Iglesias and Podemos are in effect a step ahead of uh, Corbyn in uh, in England, Corbyn and left labor in England, because they are actually having an impact. Nobody wants to get in bed with. That's the wrong expression. Nobody wants to form a coalition with Rajoy. He's deeply unpopular. Um, and uh, the other center-right party, uh, to his disappointment, has said no, so that's out. So now you have the perverse proposition that the socialists form a coalition government with, uh, with the conservatives. Mm. So the so the but they're balking. Their, their idea is... Maybe, but on the condition Rajoy step aside, he's he's terribly unpopular man, right? He's a, he's the author of Spain's uh, austerity policy. Ooh, and Spain is having some real difficulties. I actually just dreadful just yeah. came back from Spain. I saw posters for Podemos and Iglesias uh, quite a bit in Madrid. Anyway, interesting. And I, my my sense, I'm curious though. I mean. I, a, I don't know how many parties, you know, realistic parties there are in Spain, but the socialist would rather form a government with the center-right People's Party than with the genuine left Podemos. Can you beat that? I mean, this no, is it, right? Uh, the, uh, the the socialist party—they're like this French socialist, you know, uh, like Hollande socialist party. Okay, uh -huh. people hear the word socialist, they get the wrong idea. Boy, that's for sure. Okay, these are basically. Uh, France has an extremely strong and admirable socialist tradition going back to the 19th century. Make no mistake, yeah. okay? Mm -hmm. But uh, but uh, and that's where the name of the party comes from. These people are not. Uh, these people are socialists in name only now. Remember yeah. Hollande, not to drift too far from our topic. Hollande is now trying to shove through, and I mean shove, uh, labor reforms that will mark. And it, a, a, a very large step away from uh, the, the strong French tradition of uh, labor rights, oh, right? Uh, yeah. um, and so it's the same with the socialists in Spain. Uh, th these people are effectively, I, I, center right might be too strong a term, uh -huh. but they're. They're very centrist. There's very little left about them anymore. Mm, Just, mm. Uh, I mean, think of Hillary. Uh, are you? Uh, Hillary is a progressive, as she insisted oh, on, really? when she was on stage with Bernie Sanders. 
only when it suits her, of course. Absolutely. Right? Uh, Same kind of yeah. thing. It, and and it, it seems to, to go along, you know, with what Sanders is saying. Back to his piece, and then I want to get back to England. We're just, we're just traveling in Europe here. Sanders also wrote in his piece in the New York Times, the same forces that gave leave proponents a majority in Britain should sound an alarm for the Democratic Party in the United States. Exactly, exactly. Do you, th- do you think it will or will the party under Hillary Clinton ignore it and yeah. stay the course for a kinder, gentler plutocracy than that of the Republicans? Yeah, ex- yeah precisely. You know, it's sort, of, it's sort of oligarchy with a human face, right? Uh, uh, Bert, a word you and I, we, we are plus minus the same age, are rather familiar with. Let's introduce it. We are talking about the disruption of establishment politics. Never mind the labels, Democrat, Republican, Socialist, Conservative. Uh, we are t- all of these, uh, in all of these different contexts, there are established political institutions that, uh, do, that do not they do not serve the purpose of of expressing citizens aspirations they serve the purpose of circumscribing the political conversation this is what this is the limit of what you can uh, aspire to yeah. that's the function of these right yeah. uh, remember uh going back in american history to the 19th century when our two party system as we have it consolidated itself that was the explicit purpose of of the party formations we have got to surround post jackson and all that right uh we have got to uh define uh the political conversation in this country these are the limits it's rather uh-huh, different uh-huh. than we are taught that political, the Democratic and Republican parties, and okay, Conservative Party in England, Labour Party, uh, these are there to express the uh, will and aspirations of of voters, citizens, in the British case, subjects. Uh, right. uh, that is actually upside down. Mm. They are there to, uh, in they are there to uh, effectively advise citizens. Here's what you can aspire to and no more, right? Right. And we're going to keep a lid on it. We, you know, just keep us in power, the plutocrats, the oligarchy. Yeah. And both parties... It's such an important moment in, in international politics, right? It, it really is. Bernie's right on the nose there. Yeah, and, and as he says, you know, this is part of a worldwide thing. And I think uh, my guess is that a lot of the other countries that are now within the EU, most obviously Greece and a lot of other countries, have got to be, the, the leaders, the people in power, have got to be a little bit concerned that this kind of sense of, hey, wait a minute, who is this uh, uh, serving? You know, we have this economic integration uh, and right. and people... There's decisions being made, say in Brussels with the EU, that the people who are affected by those decisions, correct me if I'm wrong, don't have any say over it at all. People get angry about that. It's a, uh, uh, in my view, uh, it, it it may go back to the EU constitution, <laughs> which uh, uh, may uh, award. I I am not intimately familiar with the wording, okay? Uh, Some people argue that 
the EU constitution itself as established well, after the Maastricht Treaty in 2000, uh, 1992, okay? Yep. And it was voted on in early 2000s. Uh, this constitution itself is flawed. It gives the uh, it gives Brussels and the central bank too much power. Yeah. Okay? Uh, my argument is, wait a minute, uh, we have the administrative functions. The EU is divided three ways, okay? You have Brussels okay. uh, for the administrative function. You have Frankfurt for the central bank financial function. Mm -hmm. And you have Strasbourg for the European Parliament, the political function. So you, you can see what they did, Belgium, Germany, France, all right? Mm -hmm. uh, everybody gets a slice. The problem is the European Parliament in Strasbourg is irrelevant is too strong, but yeah. it's in, the, in yeah. that direction. I invite your listeners to, to contemplate when was the last time they ever heard about anything that happened at the European Parliament in Strasbourg. Uh, I, right. I, honestly, really. I mean, go, you go ahead and try that exercise, Bert. It is, it is, it it has exceedingly little power. So my uh, argument is, you you can improve the structure of the EU and and regain some of the democratic ideals that inspired a very great many people in a, in a very great many countries in, in Europe and elsewhere. Uh, if, if you uh, advance the political function such that people, influence, uh, people affected by European Union uh, decisions have some say in them, the problem now is they don't. Right. And I got. I have to think that that was kind of the basic uh, impulse behind the Leave sentiment. Of course. And, and you know, there is this economic integration of the European states, but there's not really political integ integration. Is that an accurate uh, sense of it? Yes, of course. Yeah, it is. It's just what I was telling you about. Look, the, there's some very worthy people sitting in the Strasbourg Parliament, right? Sure. Some quite well-known people. There are a lot of Greens there, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. There are a lot of Social Democrats. Good old, uh, remember Daniel Cohn-Bendit? Get out. Daniel he's Daniel there? He's, a, he's been a, an EU parliamentarian for decades, I right? I didn't know that. That's, it, oh, it's very interesting. Good bunch. the Red was a curious, is a curious figure. Yeah, because 68. Because of his parentage, he has dual citizenship in France and Germany. Wow, okay? wow. He's quite a... And he's a, he, he remains an, an, exceeding, an exceedingly interesting, uh, intelligent man. Okay, but you you know I, I've just dredged a name up out of the deep lost past. I mean, uh, oh, not for me and you. Parliament. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so yeah, the answer to your question is yes. No, uh, after Brexit. I uh, the the Europe the remaining countries the Germans in the lead yes are now talking about a kind of period of soul searching that is going to commence in September huh. and produce a report 
next March, okay? I think they're giving themselves about six months. We must think this through, and the, the catchphrase is, uh, we don't need more Europe and we don't need less Europe. We need a better Europe, okay? Mm. Uh, that doesn't really mean very much. No. Step back and think about it. Yeah, really. uh, it's a nice sounding idea. Oh, yeah. It's all is mm. the limit. Uh, but they uh, promised to think this through. I doubt anything will come of it. Right. Um, uh, because there is a great deal of power at stake, and you, you really must show me the bureaucracy that relinquishes accumulated power <laughs> because it thinks yeah. it's the right thing. Doesn't ever happen. Not Yeah, ever. and it's also very much the wrong time to start thinking, to start talking again about raising the topic of political integration. It's just too, you know, Europe is just too fragile a proposition. United Europe, you know, the European project, as they say, is too fragile a proposition to bring up, I would say, the very things that should be brought up, you know. Well, I hope they do it. But as I've been involved in politics through the years, if you don't know what to do, form a committee. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the Europeans are brilliant at that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. And as you pointed out in your very, very interesting and informative article, many years ago, uh, I will pronounce this wrong, Joschka Fischer, is it? Joschka Fischer. He, he was Germany's foreign minister at the time. He delivered his much-noted United States of Europe speech, in which he said of the EU, quote, it is viewed as a bureaucratic affair run by a faceless, soulless bureaucracy in Brussels. At best, boring. At worst, dangerous. That was a long time ago. Was that perception what drove the Leave vote to success? I, I, re, I was editing on a foreign desk in New York when, when he made that speech. It was, it was much, much noticed. Uh, bet. The, the, he, he, Fisher's a very bright guy, social democrat under Gerhard Schroeder, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, he subsequently stepped down, I think, 2005, I'm not sure, but around there. And he made that statement in 92? He taught at Harvard after that for, mm-hmm. a, I think, a, a year. Um, you know, he's still around, alive, and one assumes well. Uh-huh. But uh, that speech was very big. Here, That quotation I picked out, there's a very simple way to read it, Bert. The problems we're talking about today and the problems that produced the British exit vote were very apparent at foreign ministerial level 16 years ago. And as I said in my column, you can't say the EU didn't do anything about them because they did. They made them worse, right? Uh, When you read that Fisher speech and you say to yourself, it came to this 16 years later, he gave the speech in Berlin in 2000. No. Think about it. Uh, you know, they didn't, they, they were just, the, there's a, a drastic, uh, astonishing measure of complacency in among the Europeans. Well, one of my uh, favorite books among great many is Barbara Tuckman's The March of Folly, where a government sees various different courses and sees one that is absolutely almost guaranteed to be disastrous, and that's the one they choose. They just they go for that, you know, again and again and again. So here was this prescient speech by Joschka Fischer, Germany's foreign minister, saying 
there's going to be these problems. You know, it's it, 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 people feel left out of it. Speaking of Germany, they have been the gorilla in the EU room for a long time. Now it's even more central and more powerful, I would think. How does that play with other nations which are not pleased with German-imposed austerity? Well, uh, Germany has a long tradition of uh, a long intellectual tradition uh, reflecting quite a different idea of politics and political economy than than you have in the Anglo-American world. Okay, it awards a very strong role to the state. Okay, uh, it's uh, it, it it has a lot of time for. Uh, state-directed economic policies and all that. Anybody who knows much about history will will know this, okay? Uh, But the Germans have uh, bought into... uh, The Germans, with the British, were uh, the two main advocates of Anglo-American-style neoliberal uh, economics. There's a there's a uh, a historical reason this came to be. I mean, the British were always that way. Basically, neoliberal neoliberalism refers to a a modern reiteration of English liberalism as it goes back to the 18th century. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but now the Germans will have to will be carrying this ball alone, okay? Uh, uh, and so what? I, uh, what you're going to? I mean, what you're already beginning to see hints of is that the Germans are very likely to be are rushing to lock the exit doors. Yeah. I think there's a lot <laughs> of concern in Europe now. I'll bet. Well, the English did it. Uh, or the British did it. Uh, what about the Spanish, the Portuguese, the Greeks, and wh- whomever else yeah. may be dissatisfied? Okay, I think they're very concerned. It's a, we're talking about the precedence just that yes. was just set. Yes, right. Um, there's a there's a sense uh, uh, rather openly displayed in the Greek crisis two years ago oh, yeah. that the EU is essentially. Uh, a vehicle for German domination of Europe. Yep. Okay. Yep. And uh, Germany... You can imagine how that goes down among Europeans with any kind of memory. Yeah. I I know a lot of the Greeks have talked about, hey, we've been uh, occupied by Germany a few times before. We're not okay with doing it again. And and Germany has just been like that for a long, long time. Yeah. So Germany is... Germany is to be watched. I don't don't mean... Right. Just... I mean, it'll be interesting to watch how the Germans play this, right? I, I think Merkel, Chancellor Merkel, is sensitive to these considerations, okay? Uh, I think some of her other people, uh, notably that odious, odious finance minister of hers, Wolfgang Schobel. Don't know him. Uh, just, uh, you know, they're... His behavior toward the Greeks is was just so out of the, beyond acceptable, right? Mm. Uh, Baldly anti-democratic. 
Uh, and so it'll be interesting to watch how Germany plays the threat of an unraveling Europe now that the British have set the rather significant precedent they have. Ah, and we all know fear is very, very powerful. I mean, the mm. Hillary campaign now, fear Trump, fear Trump. That's basically yeah, all it is. Yeah. And it's not insignificant, but, but fear is certainly very powerful. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here on Keeping Democracy Alive, talking with an old friend, uh, great, understands a lot of stuff. We're talking about what's going on in Europe since the Brexit, what it really means. And since the vote... Many in the U.K. have called for a re-referendum. It's like they're saying, oops, wait a minute, we didn't know what we were voting for. What do you think the future of that is? This is gets, this gets very f- funny. I, I wish I could recall the specific instance. I've intended for days to look it up. But the Irish voted against the EU some years ago, not that many, uh, 10 or so years ago. There was a referendum in Ireland on, I can't remember what, I think the EU constitution or something. Uh, and the Irish, what was, maybe it was the Euro, I can't remember, some big issue, okay. And the Irish voted, no, we're not interested. And, uh, the, the rest of Europe freaked out, uh, to use an old phrase. Uh, and you know what they did? They held another referendum. They got the, <laughs> they got the propaganda machine going and, uh, a full bore, and they held another referendum and squeaked by, right? So they just reversed the vote. Uh, there is talk in England of, of, uh, another referendum or, you know, there, there is a certain, uh, buyer's or however you want to put it, seller's remorse. There is, sure. whoa, what have we done? Um, uh, that's inevitable. Uh, I, I think it would be politically very dangerous for the this is just too large an issue right it's yeah. too britain is too large a nation not to diminish the irish but it, it's it's its prominence is is vastly greater no, for no. them to tamper with this vote and say okay okay well let's think of it again mm-hmm. I, I don't see that uh-huh and what about again back in jolly old england the UKIP, the United Kingdom Independence Party. Do you expect this vote to to boost the ratings of the far right UKIP, or or is their mission now fulfilled? What what, what do you think about their future? I, I, I think UKIP is uh, uh, in a certain way uh, one could compare very roughly to the to Trump's political organization, which is to say, you know, there's not much to it. I, I think uh, UKIP has been. Uh, a, a, a one-issue phenomenon. I, I don't think there's any depth in that uh-huh. organization. I don't think Good there's any hear. administrative capacity. I, I, I don't think there are a lot of smart people, bluntly, uh, in it. So whatever opportunity may now present itself, I don't see UKIP taking any kind of effective uh, advantage of the moment. Oh, good. That's very uh, good know. to hear. I don't, I don't yeah, like they're that. you know they're in the bin with Marine Le Pen and right and that uh, racist xenophobic yeah alternative for Deutschland and all those sort of parties yeah right? kind of there's not neo fascist racist guys yeah, we, they they coalesce a lot of ugly sentiment but uh, they can't get much done that Can you is imagine UKIP running a 
one uh, one wing of the British Parliament is unthinkable. No, oh, absolutely. Well, hopefully, hopefully they'll have more uh, uh, sense than that. What, what about the? What, the let me add one thing, if I may, Bert. Sure, sure, please. Uh, the the greater threat uh, <laughs> since. Uh, since last year, when uh, there were uh, legislative uh, parliamentary elections in Britain, and you remember uh, Cameron was returned uh, with yeah. uh, with a resounding victory, right? Big, uh, yeah. At that time, it became very clear the right wing of the Conservative Party. That's another matter. Uh, as I wrote at the time, uh. it is very difficult to tell where the right wing of the Tories leaves off and UKIP Boy, uh, begins comes yeah. on, right? Yeah, the, that's... the line between the two is very blurry. In, a, in effect, from that election onward, Cameron had a Tea Party problem. And <laughs> I think that is another question altogether. Uh, mm. There were a lot of very influential outs among the conservatives, those are the people who are interesting, not necessarily UKIP. Wow, that is, uh, it's interesting. And and I can think about the uh, current Republican Party and and the far-right, you know, white nationalist groups. Exactly. Uh, Where where does one begin and the other end, right? I don't Uh, know. They sure have changed. Well, what what about the power now of Western Europe, which which you say has been quote an instrument or a front line in Washington's war with the Soviets? Now continuing with the Russians as NATO threatens their border with increasing saber rattling. What 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 happens to uh, uh, the, the power of Western Europe here on on that front? Well, uh, y- your listeners will remember that President Obama went over to. Uh, uh, Britain himself, I think, in April, to say, "Now look, you better stay. You better do the right, right thing. We want you in Europe." Okay. Yes. Uh, there was a very specific reason for that. Uh, well, the numerous reasons. One, one is are the trade and investment advantages. Uh, uh, Obama has this uh, trans TTIP, uh, yes, Trans Pacific Trade and Investment Partnership. Transatlantic. He wants that passed. Oh, yeah. uh, one of these mega trade deals. Yes. Um, but more historically, the EU has been um, a conduit for American influence, yes. geopolitical influence, on the continent. It is through the EU, uh, not to the exclusion of individual governments, the Germans and so forth, the British certainly, uh, it is through the, the EU has been very important in uh, uh, extending American influence into Europe, okay? Uh, uh, and in on such questions as sanctions against the Russians, um, and certainly all during the Cold War, oh, yeah. uh, prior to the collapse of the Soviet Union, the EU was very important in American uh, uh uh, geopolitical thinking, um, and uh, the British were uh, the main. Uh, the British yeah. amounted since Churchill's time 
amounted to uh, the the closest the important ally in the EU for Washington was was the English. Okay, so they're sure. they're out. Uh, this what? is th- there's the EU on the Russian question is there is very fragile. The uh, a lot of the continental Europeans have had it with sanctions and animosity toward the Russians. It's all a, a very great deal of it. I would say most of it is all trumped up um, to begin with. Um, and they've had enough. It's very damaging. The European economy is extremely interdependent with Russia's. Um, and uh, uh, it, it may be more difficult for Washington to uh, to uh, extend its influence in, in quite the sort of direct, unimpeded uh-huh, fashion uh-huh. It, 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 it has enjoyed to date, right? Th- that, I think is worth watching. Uh, you get a lot of uh you get a lot of reports now. I don't know how I, sometimes the ignorance of of our journalists just absolutely yeah. floors me. Yeah. You get a lot of people yeah. saying, "Well, Putin is delighted uh, at the British exit vote and therefore uh that alone means that we should oppose the exit vote." Right? Yeah. If Putin likes it, we have to hate it, okay? Yeah. Well, I, I don't see that. First of all, Putin's response to the exit vote was extremely muted, right? Uh, he said there are some positive things about it and there's some negative things about it. This is going to be a difficult passage for Europe. That's about right, I would say. Um, uh, but the but no, uh, you, you, Putin is very rarely quoted accurately, or his views are very rarely reflected accurately in the yeah, American just... press. No, Putin is jumping up and down and having parties, right? Yeah. That's just not so, no. right? Second point, I don't see why anybody needs to look at Russia in order to make a judgment about the British vote. Just let's make it on our own, uh, on the merits. We don't need to, we don't need Russia as some kind of refracting mirror in order to decide whether it's good or bad. That's just sheer stupidity and and okay the, the the press is so good at at playing putin as the bad guy the eternal boogeyman of course, oh, of it's course just, yeah. but in any event yeah. I, I i don't i i think uh the concern in washington uh about uh britain absenting itself from the european union lineup it's 27 countries now not 28 uh is plainly very real, but I really don't see... Germany is uh, an exceedingly strong ally. We've already discussed yeah. Germany's uh, predominance in uh, oh. among European nations. I don't really think um, a great deal of, of upset is going to occur across the Atlantic because of this. Uh, I don't. I, I, I think... Continental voices. The next time sanctions, they just renewed. They—they always amaze me. They just renewed the sanctions again for six more months. Every time this vote comes up, the French, the Italians, uh, others, some in Germany, say, "Look, enough with these sanctions. We've had it." Yeah. But at the time when the vote comes, they do it. Uh, uh, they vote for them. 
I think with great reluctance. No, now, that sure. reluctance may come, may become somewhat more effective and uh, of greater consequence as the months go by, but we have to see about all that. One doesn't want to think too cataclysmically. No, true, certainly not, but as you write, and we've got to end with this, Britain's stunning decision to leave the European Union marks the end of something and the beginning of something else. You also asked, is the post-war Western alliance fated to give way to a disorderly world with no organizing principle? I'll ask you the question you ask. Well, uh, it is the end of, I don't like the word dream, but it is the end of a, a, a long and very admirable aspiration that I, and I assume you, uh, and many, many other people, Europeans, non-Europeans, Westerners, non-Westerners, had about uh, supranational institutions, yeah. uh, Bringing coalescing nations to to address common challenges and uh, advance uh, common values and principles. Okay, yeah. this is a huge. You know, the the European project uh, is among the oldest and maybe the oldest uh, uh, organization uh, or under endeavor in this line, uh, and it's had a huge setback. Yeah. It's no longer possible to dream or aspire the way we might have before June 23rd. It's just not. Mm. It's, been a, it's a huge reversal in that way, and that's what I mean by the end of something. My end of something, as I've already said, uh, took place during the Greek crisis. I said, hell with yeah. it. This organization is not reformable. It's like trying to talk to Paul Ryan. You're never going to get through to these people in Brussels and Frankfurt. Oh, my God. Uh, But as to the beginning of something, I I think it's one more sign that we, including the political matters we were earlier discussing, it's one more sign that we are on the edge of uh, rather new political and uh, security equations. I would like to think... I consider parity between the West and non-West to be uh, an inevitable yes. and greatly to be anticipated feature of the 21st century. Yep. Okay. I think it's important. I, I think it will be to mankind's benefit. Uh, and so I rather hope that this is a step in that direction. Uh, I think it That's will That's what be. I mean by the beginning of something. Always a pleasure, very informative to talk with you. Patrick Lawrence, Salon's foreign affairs columnist. Thanks so much once again. Look forward to speaking to you uh, in the not-too-distant future. Oh, you're welcome, Bert. It's my pleasure also. Breaking up is hard to do. Breaking up is hard to do. Really?